Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey everybody, it's Chuck Garfine. Welcome to the White Sox Talk Podcast. It is brought to you as always by our great friends at Wintrust. So the White Sox have found their manager, Pedro Grafal. But now, let's focus on the roster. The GM meetings are going on in Vegas. Changes are coming to the roster. We know that. But what kind of changes? Who's staying? Who's going? Who's coming to the White Sox? We have one of our favorite guests, John Morosi of MLB Network. He's been in Vegas this week covering the meetings. And with Rick Hahn saying the White Sox might be more active in the trade market than free agency this offseason, we played a game of let's make a deal with John. Coming up with some good trade options for the White Sox. And we even had a quick cameo appearance on the podcast by a certain super agent, which you're going to hear. So let's make a deal. Let's make a bunch of deals with John Morosi of MLB Network. That is coming up next. White Sox, White Sox, go, go, White Sox. That ball hit deep way back. has put the White Sox ahead. Jimenez leaves the ballpark. You can put it on the board. Yes! we got a chance to do something real special. All right, sit back, relax, and strap it down. It's time for the White Sox Talk Podcast. All right, join us from the GM meetings in Las Vegas. It is one of our favorite guests. It is John Morosi, MLB Network, also a NBC Sports contributor. So welcome to the family. Great to have you here and get back on the podcast, JP. Chuck and Ryan, my, my pleasure, my friends. Always love catching up with, with you. I, I do believe uh, that I will make, hopefully, more trips to your great city uh, in 2023 than I did in 2022. I thought that when the season began that I was going to be spending a lot of October uh, on the south side in your great city. Obviously, it didn't quite work out that way, but I'm optimistic that better days are ahead. The great Pedro Grafal, whom I've known for 17 years now, I am uh, thrilled for him to get his chance over the White Sox. He's going to be a difference-making manager. Very yeah, we've already completed a trade. Yeah, John Morosi will be in, spend more time in Chicago in 2023. We've acquired yeah, you. We've acquired. Sounds like you. So, so you're trading. We've acquired Houston the rights. We've acquired the right. Yeah, yeah. We've acquired the rights to more time with John Morosi on the south side. Well, since you brought up Pedro, uh, let me get your thoughts because you covered him when he was uh, in Seattle, I guess, and you were covering right. the Mariners. So, what? Tell us about Pedro Grafal, your experience with him and knowing him for a long time. Great gentleman, great communicator, loves the game, student of the game. Uh, when I met him, I was uh, covering the Seattle Mariners for the PI in Seattle, which sadly is no longer with us as a newspaper, but it was a great experience. And uh, he was the field coordinator at the time for the Seattle Mariners. So I, I love 
stories of people who are baseball lifers who, who get the opportunity that they've deserved for a long time. I think Pedro was ready for this job three, four, five, six years ago. I, I really believe that. He's got a diverse background in the game, uh, bilingual, bicultural, uh, very grateful to, to be in Major League Baseball. And I think the way that he communicates and interacts with people really conveys what the game means to him, how he never takes a day for granted. And I think for a team that was really lacking a little bit of cohesion and and purpose perhaps at different times in 2022 they've got the right guy pedro will set the right tone he knows how to run a game he's been in the dugout for world series games and won a world series ring with the royals he's done it all so i think that 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 instant credibility that he brings i realize he may not have the uh, the most famous name in baseball but people in the game know who he is and they understand his his route to this profession and and what he's done now and i think he was a great choice by the white Sox for a number of reasons you know john a guy i keep thinking of and i said this to him last week when we had him on the podcast was you know joe madden wasn't a sexy name either when the when the tampa bay rays hired him he, he, had, he had been around a baseball lifer and been on the backfields and scouting departments and stuff. And, and so there's a little bit to me, like I have a comp of a guy for whatever reason for decades has been passed over and passed over and passed over. And now that he's got his time, why is he the right guy for this job? Because a lot of times when a guy gets his first go around as a manager, it's with a team that's kind of on the rebuild, that's putting things together, that's getting pieces in place. So in three, four years that they can compete, the White Sox are going to be trying to win the American League Central in 2023. I, I think that it's a great question, but this team, what this team needs is a, a unifier, a, a someone to, to help center this team and, and give them a real clarity of, of purpose and what they're all about. And Pedro does that. He, he can run a game. The running of the game, he will be able to handle that because I've seen him work. I know what a great baseball guy he is. He is going to be prepared. But I think more than anything – this team needed to, to just get itself organized again and, and to have a, a centralized message. And honestly, in this case, you've got someone who can deliver that message in, in multiple languages. Hello, Scott Boris. Good to see you. Great to see you. We'll, we'll see you again soon. Um, that, that, uh, there's a good GM meetings moment for you. How about that? Um, so uh, I, I think in, in Pedro's case, he has the ability to, to really convey what the organization needs uh, again, and, and to do it in both languages. I, I think that's an, ext- an incredibly important thing uh, that we have to consider in, in the modern baseball game, that, that the ability to really communicate and not just not just talk, but engage. He is a very engaging person, great family man, uh, very, very proud of his, uh, of his daughters. We've talked about that a lot over the years, just as, as friends. He just, he, he gets it. And I think for, for a team that just sort of was, operating at least outwardly from what I saw in in a bit of a disorganized fashion uh, for the, the past season, that having someone who, who really commands the room in a quiet way, you don't have to, to walk in with, with the most famous name or, or the longest playing resume to, to have the room in its, in its cohesive manner. And Pedro will do that. He will hold people to account when he has to, which Joe Madden has done, which Jim Leland has done. I was around Jim, and of course, Jim's career ended in Double A. It was always very. Jim was always very candid in saying that that because he didn't have an extensive playing background, that he had to earn the respect of his players. And Pedro Griffel will do that uh, because he cares. He empathizes so well. 
He engages so well. And I, and I think for all those reasons, all those sort of more subjective skills, he will master the subjective stuff and the objective stuff, the running the game. Then it comes down to talent. And, and if the talent is healthy, they'll be fine. If the talent was healthy in 2022, they would have been fine for, to a large extent. But they, they were not often on the field together. There were a lot of injuries. There, was, there were a lot of, I think, opportunities to win missed. They were terribly inconsistent, as you guys know better than me. And I think that Pedro and the way that he runs the team will demand a higher level of accountability. And as long as the, the corresponding medical side of the equation and just getting the guys on the field and ready to go, they're going to be just fine in 2023. All right, let's talk about the roster. GM meetings are there. Rick Hahn is there. You've been talking to a whole lot of people, and uh, we're going to have a little game we're going to play with you. We're going to play a game of let's make a deal because it sounds like the White Sox will be looking to make some trades. But before we even begin that, what are you hearing anything with the White Sox from your conversations you've been having in Las Vegas this week? Well, for, first of all, I think, guys, can we just rerun that little clip when I predicted Dallas Keuchel would sign with the White Sox and he ended up doing that? Remember that? It was oh, like, yeah. Yes, we remember. Four years ago in San Diego. It, yeah, it was. And we replayed guys. it multiple times as we were uh, enjoying Yeah, that was a great <laughs> moment for everyone here. So yeah. what's your prediction this year? You got no, no, a prediction? No, no, no. So, that, so the, my point is, my point is, <laughs> I, I'm probably in the – and I mentioned that in jest because typically insiders are limited to one – hot stove miracle per career. (laughs) And so so I I say that by, by admission to to acknowledge, I've probably got my one miracle on, on really nailing exactly who you're better than that. We're going to get, that was my one guy. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think this though, you look at, you look at the way that this, this club sets up. I, I, I think infield wise, I I like Anderson at, at short. And again, Moncada has to be healthy. I think Mendick is a is a suitable second baseman. Maybe you can upgrade there, uh, but I think Vaughn is is good at first base. The, the key thing for this team is staying healthy, and I, I think this is not one of those teams. You look around like the, the Texas Rangers, for example. They need a lot of pitching. They probably have to go outside to do it. Um, I, I think those those types of things. Like for some teams, it's clearer what they need. I will say one guy that I think makes a ton of sense for the White Sox is maybe not necessarily the biggest name, but I'd like to see Ross Stripling pitching in Chicago because I think Ross can be your fourth or fifth starter. He can also be a bridge guy in the in the bullpen. We've talked a lot about Michael Kopech in the past. You tell me how many innings Kopech is going to pitch, and we'll have a good idea of how good this team is going to be. I, think, I really think he's an important guy from that perspective. Yeah, could they do a little bit more to upgrade uh, a spot here or there? But I, I don't see this being – a team that signs Trey Turner and then has Trey play short and moves Tim Anderson or, or right. has Trey play second base. I, I just, I don't see that being a reality here. Uh, could you potentially make a, a big time run at a Xander Bogarts and have Xander play third and move uh, and move Moncada to second? Maybe, but I, I just, I think that that's, that's getting a little too clever for me. I, I, I think while those ideas theoretically may have some validity. I, I just don't see the White Sox as being the most heavily motivated team to make a move quite like that. Yeah, so Rick Hahn said this to reporters, uh, that he, he expects to be more active in the trade market than free agency. So right. let's make a deal. 
let's talk about who they could get. Now, right field, although he brought up Oscar Colas as a possibility. So first off, can I, I'm going to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, for, yeah. Are, we, are we saying, and John, are you hearing this correctly too, that Jose Abreu's days with the White Sox are done? Because I think that we need to figure start, out That's Abreu. the big domino. We need to figure out Abreu before yeah. we can start everything else. And it sounds like I, Andrew Vaughn is probably the first baseman. I think so, 100%. I, I think that to me is it's not an, it's not an easy decision, but it is a logical one. And look, we all realized that there was going to come a day as there comes for every player, Derek Jeter, or anybody else in the world, that eventually time moves on and organizations move on without you. And, and while I believe Jose's career is going to continue, clearly, they, they've got someone in Andrew Vaughn who can play the position. So don't complicate matters by, by bringing back an icon that you would have to, I think, allocate a certain number of plate appearances to and, and, and complicate your dynamic a little bit. I think that you have to keep your DH spot open to rotate through what's been a, a bit of a injury-plagued group. There may be some days where Moncada has to DH or Eloy has to DH. Or I think Eloy Robert has to has be the DH. Eloy is your guy. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to me, make Eloy your DH and then sign a left fielder. That, that to me – makes a lot a lot more sense. You know, one thing I would say and and I agree I think that that you know, this is a team that's going to be much more active in trade and I have an idea for you in trade that I'll mention in a moment, but if if they were to go the route of free agency, I think this player is going to be more expensive than they can handle, but I'm a big Brandon Nimmo guy. Ugh. I think Nimmo oh. is a really good player. Yeah. I think he would he would for a team that can get a little bit free swinging or maybe a lot a bit free swinging uh, and very right-handed that having a left-handed bat who gets on base is just empirically appealing. And, and so I would, if I am, if I am the white Sox, Nimmo would be the one guy, you know, again, Aaron judge is the best outfitter. I get that, but I would love to see Nimmo in a white Sox uniform because I just think he, he brings so much to your team. And, and, you could have Robert play center and then Nimmo in one of the corners, or if Robert, if you feel more comfortable for his in, in endurance to move Robert to a corner and, and play Brandon in center, center field, I, I think that's a good idea as well. So I, I really think Nimmo is a guy to watch. Now, trade-wise, play let's make a deal. You know, he's, he's right-handed, and so maybe it's not a perfect fit, but I, I also like Tasker Hernandez a lot. And I think that with the Blue Jays, in their situation, you know, they they are they are a very right-handed team in the similar way that, that the White Sox are, and to maybe bring in some balance or to free up some money for them to 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 sign a pitcher, where I think their needs on the pitching side are maybe even more, yeah, um, a little more extensive than what the White Sox need. I think I think Teoscar Hernandez at uh, on the south side a guaranteed rate. My goodness, we're talking about yeah. maybe a a thirty-five homer season. All right, so let's get it done. Yeah, okay, that's a good idea. But I got another one for you. And you were speaking wait, with wait, 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 wait. I want to. What, what you, you said that Nimmo is probably too expensive for the white. What, Everyone give, wants some. I think that's going to be too tough. Give me a number. What's 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 it going to take to get to get Brandon Nimmo? Five so for one twenty again. More. I, I'm my predictive skills are are a little lacking in a lot of ways, but I, I think I think Nimmo could be a, a $20 million a year player. See, I don't think I the do. Sox are doing that. I, I, just going off of what Rick Hahn was saying, just going yeah, off what I he's just, saying, just, I, I think we got to focus on trades. Focus on trades. Yeah. Not saying he's not gonna, uh, they're not going to sign any free agents, that. 
But I just we can feel, do that. Okay. So here's a trade possibility for you. And I, yeah, do I want Nimmo on the team? Yes, for sure. But uh, I don't feel like that's happening. So you spoke with Orioles GM Mike Elias, right? Right. And my question for you is: Is Anthony Santander available? Because there's a switch hitter. Plays right, plays left. 33 homers last year, two years left on his contract. Is he someone who they would potentially be willing to trade? Uh, I think in the right deal, yes. Uh, the, the, the Orioles are always open-minded, I think, to, to doing business. We saw that with Trey Mancini at the deadline this year. I also think that they're moving into a phase of their club based on how well they played this year that they believe they can compete for a, a playoff spot in 2023. And so while I, I agree that Santander is by definition available because he's not signed to a long-term deal and the Orioles are always a very open-minded team. I think the chances of a deal or of him being truly and, and really available yeah. are, are lower now than they were a year ago. I, I think a year ago, Michael Elias would have listed on just about anybody. Now you win 83 games. There's a little bit of an expectation now and I think it becomes a little harder to trade him. So I, I, I would say if, if Rick Hahn came calling with the very best offer that he could he could manage, perhaps. But I, I would say I, I just don't see Rick Hahn overwhelming the Orioles with an offer for Anthony Santander at this juncture, even though I agree with you. He is, in many ways, exactly what the White Sox need. Okay, The White Sox have a lot of high-priced back-of-the-bullpen arms. <clears throat> and we know that Liam Hendricks is one of the elite closers in the game. He's probably... To arguably top three the last three years, right? I mean, he's, he's one of the surefire things in the ninth inning to get it done. He has a $15 million option in 24 that automatically vests if he's traded. So he roughly has two years for $30 million. I look at the Dodgers, and we all know that they need a closer. They, I mean, they traded for Kimbrell. That failed. They could have used him. Or they could have used a, a lights-out closer in the, in the playoffs. What is the market for? I don't think the White Sox are necessarily saying, hey, we want to trade Liam Hendricks because those are the three toughest outs to get in baseball, as you know. But what is a market for a guy like Liam Hendricks, it's like who has two years and thirty million, to a team like the Dodgers, like Gavin Lux, a type guy you can get back for something like that, or just is it? I'm guessing it's a very specific trade to a specific team that can take on that type of investment. Right, uh, it's a great question. Uh, I, I think about Hendricks that if he were a free agent now. You look at what Ryacel Iglesias got a year ago. Look at what Edwin Diaz just got on a long-term extension with the Mets. Hendricks, I, 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 just because of his age, I mean, he's 33, about to turn 34. So he's he's still relatively, you know, in the age of closers who can sometimes be effective until their late 30s. Um, he, he should still have, I think, a lot of uh, a lot of good years left. Uh, I, I would say that he, if he was a free agent right now, he might get three times 15, maybe gets two times 20. My point is the amount of money left on his deal with the vesting option is quite similar to what I believe he would get right now if he's a free agent. And when you have a player who is priced roughly accurately to the market, it's really hard to then get a, a very valuable player back as well. So by that, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think they would give up Lux to get Hendricks. I, I, if I, let's put it this way. If I were the Dodgers, I would not. I would not do that. Okay, uh, I think that the reason why the Dodgers felt comfortable with Kimbrel was it was 
part of the Pollock trade, and there was that uh, dynamic of sort of a, a relative cost savings, if you will. Uh, I, I just don't see the Dodgers as being likely to to trade value in in Lux and take on the contract. They may take on the contract, uh, but I don't see them giving up a ton of value to do it. All right, check. I'm just writing in Liam Hendricks here for the ninth inning. Okay, that's yeah, done. We solved yeah, that one. Yeah, we solved so, that one. So the Sox declined the option on Josh Harrison. They need a second baseman. And Han said, perhaps there's a way to balance the lineup a little better at that spot. So that's, okay, left-handed bat. It says left-handed bat. Second baseman. Now, free agency, there's Adam Frazier. Adam Frazier, that was the first that was the first uh, name that came to mind for me was that Adam Frazier would be a, a good fit there if you wanted to. And I, I don't think Adam Frazier is going to be a very expensive free agent. He's coming off sort of a down year yeah. with the Mariners, yeah. but I think in, in – Chicago would present a much better ballpark for him. So I would uh, I would agree and say that Frazier, if you're going to go the free agent route, would be a good choice. All right. Then there's this guy. He's right-handed. I'm intrigued by this. Would the Yankees be willing to trade Glaber Torres? Mm. Really good call. I, I do think there are some scenarios in which they would because – and so I would put him down as a possibility for the White Sox because when you consider where they are at, Oswaldo Cabrera, Oswald Peraza, they've got some young players, young middle infielders they're going to have to find some room for. Now, are they totally comfortable going with a young shortstop and a young second baseman? They don't play like young players, but there is, of course, some risk if that's the route that you go. So um, I would say, let's put it this way, I could, I could more easily see Claver Torres joining the White Sox than I could see Anthony Santander at the moment. Okay, so Glaber Torres to the south side. You got, got that, that one done. Okay, okay. Uh, you, you, you did report earlier that the Tampa Bay Rays were yes. the most active team in terms of the trade market being discussed at the GM meetings in Las Vegas. I'm going up and down their roster prior to coming on with you, and I'm trying to find the right fit for the White Sox. Is there one? Uh, I, I think what they're predominantly listening on now would be their arb-eligible pitching. Or some of these names might be non-tendered. Uh, Ryan Yarborough is one name, Armstrong, Beeks, Adam. A lot of these are relievers. Thompson, Chirinos maybe. So that they have a whole host of pitchers who are in that zero to three class that are about to get more expensive. And if they don't move them and they have to give them raises in arbitration, they're also blocking some prospects who otherwise have to be protected for the purpose of the Rule 5 draft. So the Rays are trying – They this is basically – you know, we're here in the early days of November. What's what's that the meme that we see all the time now with like Halloween costumes must go on like the big <laughs> yeah. box Halloween store? What it looks like in, in those days between yes. Halloween and yeah. Christmas. Halloween's, like that's yeah. like what the Rays are right now with their pitching. <laughs> they like they've got to move. Everything must go. So, uh, so, if not everything, <laughs> a lot of the things. Like they're not gonna like Springs, I don't think they're gonna trade him. Obviously, they've got Rasmussen, they've got McClanahan, some guys that I don't think they're going to trade, but the rest of the group uh, I think is available. So I, so, would say, uh, I would say pay attention there on the race. So I have a name. We got Tyler Glasnow, who has two years and 30 and a half left. Now, he's only pitched, 100, he's only pitched over 100 innings once his career. We know about the double Tommy Johns, but he intrigues me. John. The White Sox, like, they do have strong – their strength is, strength is in pitching, but they're going to lose Johnny Cueto. 
We still don't, we don't know. know for a fact. You don't know that. Yeah, either. I'm just going to write. Okay, Johnny Cueto's likely gone. Okay. I have a I have a follow-up to Teoscar Hernandez to get that deal done, but I'm going to save that for a second. Tyler Glass now, two years, 30 and a half, knowing that the Rays need to move arms and they love to move money. What about Tyler Glass now on the south side? You know, it's a great, it's a great point. Uh, I, I, I think this, though, that Glass now is someone that's going to have to be managed, not totally carefully, but with a little degree of caution. Yep. And again, if I already feel like I'm going to have to really manage Kopex innings, good point. I don't feel like I can have two guys that I'm really maneuvering around, especially, you know, a younger guy like Davis Martin comes in and takes some more starts. I, I just, I am, I, I like the idea and, and for the right price tag, I could, I, I could see it certainly. And it's, I, I like your thought process. It's a very sound thought process, uh, especially given the fact that the Rays are almost always willing to move money. Um, I, I just, I'm a little bit concerned about bringing in more, injury risk that has to be managed carefully yeah. on top of what you already have internally with Colbeck. Yeah, I don't like it because he's only thrown over 88 innings once in his career. It was 111 and how many innings he's going to throw next year. So I'm with you. I, I, I mean, even though I love him as a player, I don't think he's a good fit. So take that. Two against one. I'll, I'll take it. We're not, we don't want... I'll take it. But I got a guy. I got a guy off the race. You got a guy. I got a guy. All right. Off the race? Yeah, off the race. Uh, I want some better defense on the south side. I want elite defense on the south side. And I know he doesn't have a great bat, but he's left-handed and he's an elite center fielder. Injury Kevin, prone. Injury prone. Kevin Injury Kiermaier, prone. what do you think? So you bring him in. I don't know, does he play left? Does he play right? Does you move you move Luis Robert to one of the corner spots? I don't know, but give me Kevin Kiermaier. What do you think about his availability and what would it take to get him? I expect the Rays will decline his option. Okay. He'll become a free agent. Like it. And and to, to further underscore what a valuable uh, and what a great fit he would be, of course, you know, he's from Fort Wayne. Yes. So he's from, like, White Sox country. Sorry. Uh, a graduate of, of Bishop Lures High Bishop School. Bishop Lures up. Uh, there in the, in the great city of, of Fort Wayne. And, and a noted, noted and very proud Purdue Boilermaker fan. He is he is the the biggest Boilermaker fan I have met in my life. So I would say that he like for him to be able to play, he's gonna have to leave Tampa Bay. For him to play in Big Ten country, I think would be right up his alley. Great guy. He he would be like a permanent guest on this podcast. Mm. Such a great talk. Bring not, it not, on. Not, but, all you've done is but, feed the meter for Chuck. He's injury prone. He's injury prone. Well, he'll fit right in with the White Sox. There you go. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say this though: before you move on from Johnny Cueto too much, yeah. Let's not forget who his bench coach was in Kansas City. Ooh, I love it. Oh, so I love it. I, I don't fact, want Johnny Cueto to be going. In fact, I will tell you this: there was a moment. This was like in the early days of of where uh, where where major league staffs were unfortunately not fully staffed with dedicated translators, which is an important job in in this beautiful multicultural sport of ours. Yes, where. After game five, I have to go back and find this interview somewhere. Game five of the division series between the Royals and the then ascendant Houston Astros, who had just burst onto the scene. The uh, Cueto had started game five, pitched extraordinarily well. And, and in, the, in the melee on the field, the post-game interview that I was able to do with Johnny was translated by Pedro Grifol. <laughs> so so uh, they – 
Johnny okay. and Pedro go way back, and uh, I think that would be a – it would not surprise me if Johnny wants to pitch uh, for his old friend uh, in Pedro. All right, so Chuck, sorry, I need to do an edit here. I had crossed Johnny Cueto off. He's back. He's back. So now I can complete the Teoscar Hernandez deal. Yeah. One year of Teoscar Hernandez before he's a free agent. Is that correct? You know, John, for, I just yes. looked. So he's, he's got one year left. I have a one-for-one one swap that helps both teams. You got it. Lucas Giolito. You're trading Giolito. To, to Toronto for Teoscar Hernandez. That's a good one. Now, I, I'm what I'm going to do. This is Very, my, the rare major league for major league uh, in 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 the same you know American league. I'm gonna I'm gonna so by noting this on my notebook, I'm going to uh, I'm going to ask some of my colleagues here if they have, if they've heard a whisper of that transaction because I think that's a uh, that's a good one right there. Okay. Okay. Somebody's done their homework. Somebody's done their homework. I love that's, it. That's a need for need. The Jays have. Um, Obviously, they've got a lot of outfitters. They've got Lourdes Gurriel is still there. They have Springer, of course. Um, I I am on this. This is good stuff because oh. then because then because then you would also address their their issue um, uh, with the Jays needing some starting pitching. They need to get at least one starter. I like it. I'm but, on it. But then hey, the White you Sox. Know, you don't have to come back on the podcast to let me know how that's going. You could just text me directly, and we'll figure that out on the on the yeah. side. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, yeah. I, I think that as that's that's Ryan's. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna credit him, man. That's it's good stuff. Well that, done. That might be my t- that that we will go back and still bring back the Dallas Keuchel. If that happens, we'll bring back your clip first. <laughs> well, how, actually, <laughs> you know, if that happens, I mean, that's twice as good as what Predic- Morosi did because you're predicting a yeah, trade. Predicting trades is the hardest thing to do. Trades are harder. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I yeah, agree. I mean, you're trades actually you're harder. predicting okay. the trade. Well, like, I'm two guys. I'm done here. All right, so but wait, but wait a second. But if you're trading yeah. Giolito, then the White Sox need to get another yeah, starter. But you're but you're signing. But my, you're going to bring Cueto back. You're bringing, you're bringing Davis Martin, and you're bumping Davis Martin into the spot, which All I right. believe he has deserved and earned. And you're probably then then it makes sense to bring on a guy like Stripling. Yeah, and you're backing him up. Now you have a six man for that. For you don't know Kopech's innings. Davis Martin. Done. Boom. Just and, tie a bow on it. We're good. All right. Um, <laughs> Elvis Andrews, is he going to get a shortstop deal somewhere, or could he be the Sox second baseman? Good question. I, I think he could come back as a second baseman. I, I thought he revived himself nicely yes. in Chicago. Um, you do should I have see asked him as a starting shortstop. I, I think he's more of a utility or second baseman now in terms of his uh, range and just his age. But listen, I, I think he found a lot of energy late in the season there. I was very impressed by the way he played. So. Uh, I would say Elvis will get himself a major league deal. I'm just not sure exactly where. I'd be surprised if it is as a starting shortstop on a, on a first division really? club. Uh, is Scott Boris still in the room because he's uh, his agent? You could ask him. I could. So, so true story. He had, so this is. <laughs> you want to know how much I value our friendship? Yes. Uh, Scott Scott was doing his his briefing a little short time ago. I said. Can't I, I can't stay for all of it. I got to make sure I listen. I talk to my guys here wow. and, and keep my appointment. So I, I came over here, and then Scott, as he was walking past the lobby, came over to say hello. So I, I so he, again, I this is how much I value our friendship. That I was I missed part of the annual Boris uh, briefing to be able to keep this appointment and make. Wow. Make well, you know what is more entertaining? That's a good point. Me and Ryan talking to you. Or Scott Boris. Yeah, Carlos, what does he have Carlos to say? Correa getting like Louis Vuitton so, type. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was to me. So I was just going to say that. That I, I'm sure you've already read the tweet, but that was just the that Lu- was too good. The uh, of his. Uh, I have to get this here. It's like the Louis so, Vuitton of leadership yeah. or something like so, that. So Chandler Chandler Rome of the Chronicle in Houston reports 
Scott Boris calls Carlos Correa the Dior of defense <laughs> and the, 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 the Louis V of leadership and the Prada. The Prada. Of the there you go. That's fantastic. I, I got a question for you. I want to go back to Pedro Grafal real quick because sure. I, I think if the White Sox move on from Jose Abreu, I, that makes me excited to see what some of these guys, the Mancadas, the Aloya Menezes, and the Luis Roberts, not having you know dad in the room, so to speak. Which player do you think Pedro Grafal, this is just a prediction, right? This is like a gut feeling, but because you know Pedro, is going to bring have the most impact on? Moncada. I believe mm. Moncada. I, I think because Yohan is is someone who has all the tools. And I think he is a uh, – I think he's someone that, that support for him is important. I, I think he just had a very unique journey to Major League Baseball. I think even among Cuban players that yeah. a very unique journey. And so I think that just given that history and, and his journey, I, I think he and Pedro could sit down and talk for a few hours and, and he'll be sitting across from a manager who, who will truly understand as well as anybody else could um, what he's walked in his life. And I think that, that that will result in a pretty powerful and unquantifiable level of comfort for him. Obviously, health is super important too. He just had a, a lot of whether it's bad luck, uh, you know, preparation maybe could be different in terms of his, his, his physical preparation and training. Obviously he's one of the strongest people in the game, but there's, there's that very unique baseball shape conditioning for 162, which I think has taken him a while to arrive at. And, and, and Pedro has been around winning, knows how to communicate that. So I, I really think the greatest impact that Pedro is going to have on any player in that clubhouse will be Juan Moncada. That's great to hear. Really good. Great to hear. You wanted to, we're going to let you go in a second. I really appreciate all the time you've given us. JP, you're the man. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, you wanted to talk about catching. Yeah, I mean, Pedro, obviously we know about Grafal's catching. He, look, he, he brought up Salvi Perez multiple times in his press conference, said he was watching. Yeah, Salvi Perez was watching the introductory press conference when Grafal was named manager of the White Sox. Can you believe that? I mean, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we know the type of player that Salvi is. We have not seen that type of player that the White Sox signed when they signed Yasmani Grandal. We've seen flashes. We had that second half, I think, in 2021 where he kind of took off and had that re- ridiculous offseason, or off offensive a part of the 2021 second half. But last year was a complete bust. It wasn't just health, but catching was bad. Offense was bad. You know, there's been some stuff about him in the room. I don't know if the White Sox are going to move on from Yasmani Grandal, and quite frankly, he's owed $18 million. But because Pedro Gafal is coming in, I'm just going to assume he's staying. What type of impact can he have on Yasmani? And if they were to move, if they were trying to move Yasmani Grandal, what would be the market for him? That's a great question. Uh, I, I think that when you look at the position players on this team, Grandal is set to be the, the most veteran one of them all. Uh, and, and you referenced earlier what the clubhouse is like without Jose. In many ways, by age and experience, it becomes Grandal's clubhouse. He's the only position player with more than 10 years of service. He's the oldest one. He's the catcher. All those data points suggest he needs to be the leader of the group. And so uh, I think that we're about to find out with that in front of him how motivated he is. I, I think he'd be a hard guy to move uh, salary-wise at, at $18 million. Uh, They have to probably pay down a lot of that. Uh, I, Half of it, maybe. I think to, to be able to really make it a uh, a, uh, a palatable contract for a lot of teams, uh, he's probably going to bat based on the just his productivity or lack thereof in the lower third of the lineup, or yeah. at least lower half. And so, uh, 
typically catchers who bat in the lower half of the lineup aren't aren't making close to twenty million dollars. So I, I think that Yaz, I, I I'm still a believer that there's some good baseball left in him, but this is definitely for a lot of players in this in this lineup. This is a show me, prove it to me kind of a season, and I think for for no one more urgently than Yasmani Grandal. All right, one last thing from me. This White Sox team in their clubhouse, they're going to need some glue guides, some glue guys, leadership, right? And they don't necessarily have to be, you know, the best players in baseball. They need someone to come in and just be the bridge amongst everybody because they don't really have that. They didn't even really have that with Jose Abreu. So can you come up with, and I'm just putting you on the spot here, someone who's out there who's either a free agent or someone they can acquire who can be this glue guy who can really just kind of unite the team. All right. I, I got a guy for you. Uh, if, if he ends up, uh, and obviously he's a free agent now um, and is a, uh, a great Midwesterner himself, uh, Chris Bassett. I think Bassett obviously was an original, originally a White Sox. Yep. Yes. He's got some heritage in the organization. Um, and given what we talked about it again, it, it can be hard for the, for a pitcher to do this and they may well, address their pitching needs elsewhere. But I, I do think for him, you know, he, he grew up in Northwest Ohio, so it's close to home for him in the same way that it would be for Kiermaier. I, I think Bassett is a name that I would watch very carefully because um, I, he certainly I thought he made a big impact on the Mets. Obviously, there were some moments where he was, was not as consistent during the course of the year. He started out great, uh, but I, I think he's somebody that would, would, I think, benefit a lot from a spot in that White Sox rotation. I think overall would, would be very good for that clubhouse as well. All right. I think it's been a successful podcast. We yes. have. I think we're going to go to assist here because I didn't think of Teoscar Hernandez. That was you. I came up with Giolito, so we're going to get a half point each. So we've got Teoscar Hernandez to the White Sox, and Kevin Kiermaier will sign as a free agent. Yeah, I Done. think. And and if you if you get if if you get Kiermaier to the White Sox, and he's on your podcast, if you if you greet him with a hearty boiler up, uh, he will be on your show. <laughs> he, you will win your win your way into his heart, and he'll be on your show. Many many times after that. Well, I grow. I, I I did. I did go to Black and Gold, DePaul in Greencastle, but I came from an entire family of Boiler Up, so that should be very easy for me to do. We can absolutely get that done. Yeah, and, and maybe we might have Adam Frazier or Glaber Torres playing second base. So we, there you go. We got hey, everything hey, Ryan, right. So, but, but Ryan, I, I got to throw one one last question back at All you right. since you mentioned since okay. you mentioned your your proud alma mater. Yeah. Who, who won the Who won the Monon Bell game this year? Hey, baby, this it's this Saturday. What? See, that's why I love this guy, man. <laughs> I mean, I, the Monon Bell. We we actually he's on we, it. We we talked about this in L.A. at some bar on the rooftop when the Cubs in, in 2016. We were talking about this exact. Yeah. It's Saturday. The hundred bell, baby. Hey, All right, well, hey, John. It's for the bell. It's for the conference title, and it's for a playoff berth. It's a three for no one. Way. Yeah, it's a three for one this Saturday. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, good, good, good luck. Good luck to uh, to the Paul man. Keep it going. And uh, let, I want a full full accounting of the Monon Bell game, but next we speak, okay? Done deal. That's a promise. All right, John Morosi from the GM meetings. I will see you at the winter meetings. I'm assuming you're going to be there, right? Of course, oh, I can't course. wait. One of the great uh, locations for it there in San Diego. So, my pleasure as always, my friends. And again, hopefully, uh, many more trips to the South Side next season. Oh, bring it on. Thanks, my friend. All right, that's a wrap for this edition All of the best. White Sox Talk Podcast brought to you by Wintrust, your home for White Sox. Check in with free ATMs nationwide. Go to the special White Sox webpage, slash Sox. Hawk Harrelson, take it away. Thanks, our Chuck. And this edition of the White Sox Talk Podcast is over.